You are busy. You are always on the go. But are you making time for you? The Y is dedicated to helping you stay active, live better, and find the best possible version of you. From basketball courts to functional training space, indoor pools, and yoga studios, the best of Knoxville is right in your backyard. Group classes and personal trainers that will challenge and encourage you. The Y has something for everyone. Join the Y and get unlimited access to all five locations. From the heart of downtown Knoxville to Farragut and Halls, all with no contracts. For a better us. Hey guys, this is for you, the listeners of the Daily Brew Podcast. I want to tell you about Audible. Audible's offering a free audiobook download, and they're offering it with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their great service. Get your free audiobook download and free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash dailybrew. I like listening to the Chronicles of Narnia audiobook with my daddy. This is The Daily Brew. This is The Daily Brew. I am your host, Adam Holland. This is my co-host, Jeremy Thornburg. Hey, good evening. 
We are a Christian podcast that examines various biblical and cultural issues through the lens of Christ. Um, This is our part two of our series on evangelism. This week uh, we're going to continue on talking about evangelism and its importance. And the topic that we really want to hone in on and focus on today, two key parts of evangelism that are often neglected. One is the law and the other is gospel. Making sure that you're presenting both sides of the good news and making sure that what you're preaching is good news. The reason we want to discuss this and the, the way we want to get into it is all too often we find and we listen to and hear in gospel messages uh, when people are presenting the gospel or even in sermons that people present maybe only the good side of the gospel and they forget the fact that people are alienated or that they're even sick and without having uh, or without detailing and showing people their, their sickness, how are they supposed to know that they need a savior? I want to start off, I just want to bring up and, and illustrate this and um, show how sometimes people will preach the gospel and you hear something like this, come to Jesus and your marriage will be better. Or, Jeremy, have any other illustrations like that that you've heard in the past? Big things you'll, you'll hear a lot of times is, um, you know, if, if, you, uh, if you'll just become a believer and put your faith in Christ, your life will get better. Your um, marriage will get better, your kids. Exactly, and then... And then um, Really, there, there's not a lot of need for for Jesus sometimes because uh, a lot of times with, um, with with modern day church, a lot of our preaching, um, you kind of can just do Christianity on your own, even almost without the Holy Spirit. It's like just if you just conform to the law, you'll be a Christian. You need to do this and do this and do this. And uh, I think it's real important that we realize that we need we need the righteousness of Jesus. We need Jesus's perfect life in our place. I think that's. Uh, that's often not not preached for us. I think, too, when you think about it this way, whenever we're preaching these things, come to Jesus and these things will get better, or come to Jesus and you'll have better friendships, better marriage, uh, whatever it may be, people come to Jesus not for Jesus' sake, but because they want a a better marriage, they want better kids. So in the end, the good news for them or the gospel for them is not come to Jesus and you get Jesus. So in the end, they end up wanting a better marriage, and therefore their gospel or their hope is, is no longer in Christ. It's no longer found in Christ and their need to be reconciled to a holy God, but their redemption is found in, hey, I now have better kids. Hey, I now have a better marriage. So um, I think it's a, it, it distorts the gospel, but whenever we have a biblical view, when we show people that that they are alienated from God, that they are sick, it then helps them see that uh, they do need a Redeemer. And we need both parts. We need, uh, as, as Luther or as uh, the church historical used to say, is we need the law, but we also need the gospel. And the purpose of the law is to to bring us to Christ, to show us our need for redemption, to show us that we do fall short of the glory of God, to show us that all have sinned. And once we see our sin, we realize there's there's nothing we can do to to work our way back to God. There's no way we can't do enough, we can't help the poor enough, we can't uh, love our wives enough, we can't raise godly enough children in order to to bring ourselves back to God. It's as if, um, I've heard the illustration before, is that even our good works, we're borrowing on God's credit. So uh, basically, anytime we try to repay God, try to make our way back to Him, we end up making ourselves further in debt because uh, we're using gifts He has given us in order to work our way back to Him. I, I think I think part of it, um, going back to just kind of piggybacking off the law of gospel, um, I think part of the, the issue is, is 
Jesus is only seen, Jesus' sacrifice and his righteousness is only seen as sweet to those people who see their need um, because of where they're at under the law. So God's standard is here. God's standard, God sets the bar so high. And unless you realize that you cannot hit that bar, unless that's being preached from your pulpit that you can't do it, um, you're going to confuse the fact that you can do works to uh, even enter into even enter into the kingdom. Um, you know, um, there's a term that's often used called a it's called a, a therapeutic moral theism, which kind of describes the uh, uh, kind of an alternative uh, religion of our day. Uh, basically, it's uh, it's where you kind of pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. You, you have a belief in God. But really, um, there's there's no life changing spirit uh, in you and until you see your need for a savior through the law. Um, I think it can kind of lead to some uh, just some bad teachings in the church. Definitely, especially in, our, in in the way that we evangelize and the way this ties into our topic of evangelism is how are you sharing the gospel. When you're going to people, are are you presenting them only the good aspects of the gospel, or are you also presenting to them the fact that they are alienated from God, that they they do need to be reconciled, and that none of their works will ever make it so that they can be reconciled back to God, that we need, um, as as Luther in, in the history of the church says, an alien righteousness, a righteousness outside of ourselves. We need something greater than ourselves uh, to come into our life in that way a perfect righteousness if you want to think of it that way and once we have that perfect righteousness it's that righteousness that makes it so that we can go to the Father so when the Father looks down upon us he doesn't see Adam or Jeremy and all the list of our sins he sees Jesus' righteousness in us and therefore we are able to freely come to the Father because we have a, a perfect spotless lamb in our place and I think you don't have to go into all those details in evangelism. It doesn't have to go that far, but you definitely need to show the core aspects of it that they aren't loved by God. You don't start off by saying, you know, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, no, actually, that's not true. Uh, the fact is that they are sinners and that God hates their sin and that they need to be reconciled to God. And, and because of the finished work of Christ, because while you're a great sinner, um, God sent his son for you. So in the midst of your sin, he sends his son, uh, his son to die on your behalf. And if you put your faith in Christ in his finished work, you can then be reconciled by the, uh, reconciled back to the Father. So in essence, uh, I always love what R.C. Sproul used to say is that we're not saved from sin, we're saved from God. So we need God to reconcile us back to him. I agree. Um, I, I think the other thing that's real important um, to, uh, to share with people when, when you're evangelizing is that it's, it's a call to discipleship. Um, talking about what we were um, going back a few minutes, it's not about it's not about the gifts uh, of salvation itself. It's about getting Jesus. And uh, you know, in um, in Matthew sixteen twenty four, Jesus said to his disciples, "If you want to be my follower, you have to take up your cross and you have to follow me." What Jesus is doing there is he's saying, "Take up your death instrument." It's the equivalent today of saying. Take up your uh, take up your um, electric chair and follow me. Take take this up. Uh, what he's saying is is um, this is something that you have to count the cost on. This isn't something that you know. There may be time. We were uh, you know last night with our church. We were going over suffering. Um, 
all those who desire to live a godly life in, in Jesus Christ will suffer. And I, I do think that when you present that, that you, you show that good times, bad times, you're following. You're following Jesus. There's a, there's a, a call there, and uh, I think there's also a warning in that for us as well. Mm. Amen. Amen. Yeah, and I also think that there should be a uh, there should be a warning on the front of uh, every Nickelback CD that says, uh, "Warning, you're buying Nickelback." <laughs> that was by far your worst Nickelback reference. I was hoping you're going to be like, "Christmas shoes is like the Nickelback version of a Christmas song," or I mean something like that. I mean, we're Christmas holidays. You've got you've got so many things there, and you drop on us warning labels on a Nickelback CD. Hey, hey. I've I've worked a lot this week. It's it's been a long week. My brain's shot. That's the best I got. Your brain I, is your you brain is Nickelback over. You don't, have to have, you don't have to have great Nickelback references to make fun of Nickelback. <laughs> this is true. Kind of, there's no there's no you can you can go low you can go high as long as you're as long as you're against Nickelback we're on the same team. Basically, and and, and if your lead singer looks like a poodle, <laughs> this is true. This is true. Let me, let me add one more small topic before we close out this segment. But in evangelism, I think another key thing that's important, because I know we didn't address in this last episode, and I'd really like to address it in this episode. I used to work for a mission agency, and I've seen this so many times with missionaries, and especially in evangelism here in the States, so either internationally or here in the States. People will share the gospel with a group of people, and one of the biggest flaws that I see with missions, whether that be international or national, is they'll share the gospel with the people, and they'll never point them back to a local church. They'll never point those people back to the local church. So in essence, they're just praying a prayer. They're praying the sinner's prayer, and then they're going about living their life, and they've never submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And why do I say that's the case? Because nowhere in Scripture do we ever see someone repent and put their faith in Jesus and then never tie to a covenant people, never tie to the people of God. And it's so vital for the person that in order for them to be faithful to Scripture, they need to be tied to a local church. They need that accountability. They need to, um, as Jesus says in the Great Commission, when you're making disciples, you're teaching them to obey all that you have commanded them. Well, that's not possible if you're just going and preaching the gospel and then never tying them to a local church. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, if you look through the New Testament, um, I mean, there are so many commands that you cannot do without the local church. I mean, you literally just, you, you cannot be a Christian in a vacuum. You, you have to have other people around you, mainly because um, you're going to fail. Um, you're going to, um, you're going to have hard times, and you need people there to pick you up. And on top of that, while you're growing, you need to be there to take other people under your wing and disciple them. It is. I, I remember being a. Um, I was in. Um, I was in Moldova. It's a, a small country in uh, Eastern Europe. It broke off from Russia after the uh, Soviet Union collapsed. And um, I, I'll never forget. There was a. Um, there was a crusade that was going on there, and um, I was at a coffee shop talking with the guy, and um, he was uh, drunk. And uh, he had just placed his faith in Jesus, and uh, I was talking with him, and uh, he was um, lamenting the fact that he uh, didn't have a church to go to, and he had this little card, and the card told him that he was a believer, and, and it, it, really, it really hurts my heart for people like that, because he didn't have a local church to connect him to, but he's being told by, you know, this, this evangelist, um, that uh, doesn't know him, that he's a believer, yet he doesn't
actually help um, identify him as a believer. I mean, the local church doesn't play a role in, in uh, coming alongside you and uh, making sure that you're walking with Jesus. And, and unfortunately, he didn't have that. And that completely changed my, that literally uh, was a catalyst to completely change my view of how that scripture, of how important the uh, other, other people in the, the local church are to your walk with the let me add a, a thing to to that as well. Is a phrase that's always really bothered me is the phrase, and people use it all the time. And the reason it bothers me, and I understand what you're saying, and it's partially true as well. Not you saying, but people understand when people say what they mean. Is they'll refer to it um, salvation as a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, yes, your relationship is personal. But the fact is we, we live in a, a westernized individual culture, so people take this personal relationship with Jesus Christ and they think that, hey, I can pray this prayer, then it's just me and Jesus and no one else matters. You know, I don't need the local church. I've got Jesus, me and him. You know, Our relationship's great. Why do I need others? There's hypocrites in the church. Well, I would argue that nowhere do you see in the entire Bible this idea that it's just you and Jesus and no one else uh, matters. If you think about this, look at the Old Testament. The Old Testament is written to uh, written to uh, Israel. It's it's God's covenant people. Well, then when you get to the New Testament, you have who's the New Testament written to? The majority of it is churches. Uh, so you have the Church of Galatia, you have the Church of Corinth, you have the Church of Ephesus, you have the Church of uh, Colossia, and then what, the times that he isn't like the like for example Paul when he's not writing to churches he's writing to pastors of the churches Titus who is a pastor of a church he's writing to um, he's writing to Timothy who is a pastor of a church Peter is the pastor of the church of Jerusalem so over and over and over and over again all we see in the New Testament is people put their faith in Jesus. They're tied to a local church. They're baptized into a body. Um, they're held accountable. How How is it that you're going to do the one another passages in Scripture if you don't surround yourself with believers, if you're not covenanting with a local church? that oh, there's You cannot fulfill the commandments of Scripture to love one another, to keep each one another accountable, to rebuke one another, if you're not in a local church. So my encouragement to you uh, to you listeners, is that when you're thinking about evangelism, don't just think, hey, I'm going to preach the gospel to as many people as possible. I'm going to share. They're going to pray a prayer, and then I'm done with them. No. it's That's the a, a terrible philosophy. The, the goal should be is to, we're going to share the gospel with them. We're going to tie them to a local church. We're going to see them submit their lives to Christ, and we're going to see God work through his people not necessarily you as an individual, but we're going to bring them into God's people. I think that's the best way to look at it. And with that in mind, we're now going to go to an interview we had. We had the joy of interviewing uh, Ray Comfort this week. Uh, this man uh, has done a great deal with evangelism. Um, almost every book he has written has something to do with either evangelism or apologetics. So we're now going to go to that interview and hear what he has to say about this topic. Thank you guys very much. Thank you. Well, I'll go ahead and introduce you. Go ahead. Do you want to pray or do this in the flesh? <laughs> I would love Father, to. we commit that time with your hand and pray that you would uh, please establish our thoughts and be glorified through them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. That was very helpful. Um, we are here with Ray Comfort, who is uh, head of Living Waters Ministry. Um, he is uh, very much known for his ministry in evangelism. And uh, thank you very much for joining our show. Oh, thank you for having me on, Adam. Appreciate it. Awesome. So we are going through the topic of evangelism and discussing evangelism. We want to ask you a couple questions uh, on the topic of evangelism. One question, or the first question I want to ask you is, 
What advice would you give to young believers who are just starting to see the importance of evangelism and uh, sharing the gospel? What advice would you give to them um, just for sharing the gospel? Oh, yeah, I would say, grab that verse, teach me the number of my days that I might apply my heart unto wisdom. Youth is no guarantee of old age, so every day is a gift from God. And if I was uh, talking to a group of young people that wanted to dedicate their lives to evangelism, I would say, meditate much on the reality of hell. If hell didn't exist, our whole ministry wouldn't. I wouldn't have bothered. I would have uh, spent my life making money and probably would have moved from New Zealand to Northern Australia where the water's warm and uh, and I would have gone surfing until I dropped dead on a surfboard. <laughs> but I can't. I can't live a life of self-indulgence because of the reality of hell. Um, most, most of us are fearful when it comes to uh, sharing with the lost. But the, uh, the stakes are too high for us to, to listen to our fears. So, yeah, meditate much on hell and uh, use every moment of every day and let love conquer your fear. What are some um, common objections people have to sharing the gospel, and then how would you help them or help those who have those objections to overcome it? Well, I think it's important to remember that uh, Scripture says every valley shall be brought uh, into level and every mountain brought low. We need to do everything we can to make the path straight for the gospel for the ungodly. And when they have genuine questions, uh, we need to answer them. We need to uh, answer questions like, you know, why is this suffering? You know, atheists often say there's no God because of suffering. That is a ridiculous leap of logic. It's like being on a plane, and the plane goes into a, a terrible turbulence and turbulence, and then a nosedive. So instead of saying, hey, something's terribly wrong, they say, uh, nobody made the plane, therefore, because something's wrong. No, that's ridiculous. It makes no sense. The plane obviously has a maker. It could have made itself. And the fact that you're heading for the, for the, for the ground at, uh, you know, hundreds of miles an hour shows that something's radically wrong. So every time there's an earthquake that crush people or tornadoes or cancer or pain or suffering, disease, uh, death, all these things show that something's radically wrong. But to say, you know, there's no maker because of these things is a, a huge illogical leap. So most of these questions can be answered. You know, why is this suffering? Well, we don't know why God doesn't intervene in certain things, but we do know suffering exists because we live in a fallen creation. Every, every bit of pain and suffering, disease and death and decay are all evidence that what the Bible says in the book of Genesis is true. So the other thought is don't get caught up in apologetical argument. You don't have to know everything. All you have to do is know the gospel. Someone asks you a difficult question. It's quite legitimate to say, I don't know. But you should know the gospel. You should be able to take people through the commandments as Jesus did in this pulpit in Romans 2. You say you shall not steal, do you steal? You say you shall not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? And then show them that they've sinned against God in love and uh, speak of the reality of Judgment Day and the, and the existence of hell and then preach Christ crucified. And we can all do that. And if you can't do that, it's just probably because you haven't practiced it. Hmm. So practice what you preach. Practice in the mirror, practice in the shower, practice on uh, friends, but practice what you preach. So when you talk to a sinner, you know what you're talking about. You may not be eloquent, but you've got good sound doctrine that you can express. Amen. Amen. Basically, the approach you're taking, it sounds very similar like with uh, Martin Luther with uh, preaching the law and then preaching the gospel, showing them from the law their need for, uh, for a Savior, showing it's, uh, acting as the law as a school teacher, and then leading them then to Christ and the gospel. Absolutely. I, I did a teaching called Hell's Best Kept Secret um, many years ago, and I would advise any, any Christian who wants to understand that 
uh, to just listen to it. You can get a, our website, livingwaters.com, and I think it's on the right-hand side on the homepage, and it's free. Uh, one pass to listen to it 250 times. Uh, Mark Spence, my manager at the ministry here, and uh, minister of outreach, uh, he loved it and gave it to Kirk Cameron, the actor, and Kirk mm-hmm. listened to it twice and then called our ministry and wanted to combine ministries because that teaching so touched him. He said, it's so important, so important. So you soak yourself in that teaching so that you understand the principle that no one is going to take a cure if they first don't understand they've got the disease. If I come to you with a cure and say, please take this cure, it's really good, you're going to say, look, get out of my face. I don't need a silly cure. But if I take the time to point out 10 clear symptoms of a terrible terminal disease, once you're convinced of the disease, you'll say, what shall I do? And then out comes a cure, and you're going to appreciate it and appropriate it because you've understood the disease before you were told of the cure. What modern evangelism has done Contemporary evangelism is we have preached the cure without talking of the disease. Mm. Consequently, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. It's only foolishness because it isn't preceded by the moral law, as Jesus did in Mark 10, verse 17, and other places. And so many times we see in the book of Acts, and Paul uh, says, when Paul spoke of them concerning Jesus, he did so out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets. So the prophets of prophecy and speak to the intellect, the law of Moses. Uh, speaks to the conscience and brings the knowledge of sin. That is very helpful. Um, another question we have in, in relation to this, I know you've put out quite a bit of DVDs in regards to um, just as tools for sharing the gospel. And I know recently you came out with a DVD, uh, The Atheist Solution. Can you tell us a little bit about that or the background of that at all? Yeah, I can tell you we can see it first. We've got a, a new website called fullyfreefilms.com, Fully Free Films where for no charge you can watch all our movies and send the link to other people that you think would appreciate them. Uh, the atheist delusion shows about 10 or 12 hardened atheists changing their mind about the existence of God because they were asked one scientific question. Uh, it's amazing to see, it's thrilling, uh, to see such honesty, real honesty on film, but you do see it happen. And what actually happened, if I can give you a little rundown, is I went to a local college, to uh, make a video on one of my books. And the first guy I put the book in, into his hands, his name was Adam, and he was an atheist. So I said, Adam, sit down, and I want you to flick through the book. And he flicked through the book, and I said, you think this book could have made itself? You know, coherent sentences and periods and commas and capitals and page numbers all in sequential order and color photos. He said, no, couldn't have happened. Out of the realm of possibility. And so I talked to him about the book of our DNA and how it's full of programming and information. And I said, what would you think of the mentality of somebody who believed a physical book could make itself? He said, they'd be a fool, an idiot. And uh, I said, what would you think of the mentality of someone who believed the book of life, DNA, made itself? And his mouth went like a little road tunnel. He was speechless as he suddenly saw the foolishness of atheism. So it, it shows you how you can open the door for the gospel. We, we aren't out to convince anyone that God exists, because Romans 1 tells us everybody knows God exists. It's intuitive. Mm-hmm but we're out to tell them they're in terrible danger and they need a savior. And so that's why it's important not just, just to stay in the realm of apologetical argument, but to proclaim the gospel, which is the power of God to salvation. I want to say something else, too, regarding our fears. I daily battle my fears when I share my faith with others. Um, if I was to say, Adam, I want you to dive into that five-foot swimming pool that's packed full of chunks of ice, and if you stay in there for two to three minutes, you're going to be dead. It's that cold. 
there's no way you're going to jump in. But if I, I say this, and I'm a four-year-old boy who's drowning in that swimming pool, you wouldn't hesitate to jump in and pull him out. Mm-hmm. And the waters of evangelism are icy. They're freezing. They hurt the flesh. But human lives are at stake, and so we must train ourselves. That's what Spurgeon called the irksome task of evangelism uh, because uh, the, uh, the human life is so valuable and we can't let anyone perish without pleading with them. Mm-hmm. Um, two fun questions we want to ask uh, in regards uh, just to you and your ministry, but uh, do you have any favorite uh, writers or favorite uh, apologists that you like to read, or who do you read when you're um, not busy um, at work? Well, my favorite of all time is Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he wrote a, one book that I just, my wife lost so much sleep because of it. Uh, I was reading it in bed, and I'd hit her while she was asleep and say, listen to this, and I'd wake her up so many times. It's called Lectures to My Students, and uh, it just so encouraged me and so inspired me, and I'm sure it will everyone else. He has a section in there on open-air preaching, and he said any, any pastor who has not spent time open-air preaching shouldn't be in the pulpit. That's how strongly felt. We just think all preaching should be done within the confines of the walls and the roof where sinners don't really frequent. He's saying, you've got to go where sinners are, and that just thrilled me. And, and so uh, Charles Spurgeon would be my... my uh, my hero of the faith, the Prince of Preachers, and along with millions of other Christians that love him. That's very helpful. He, uh, we actually have the joy of uh, interviewing Christian George uh, in one of our earlier episodes. He's kind of the new Charles Spurgeon guru. He's over at the, the Spurgeon Library, and got to hear some really neat stories from him. So I can relate to uh, he uh, definitely is a hero of mine as well. Oh. Um, the the last question we had for you, and just, uh, just another fun question for you, but... Uh, do you have a, a favorite uh, holiday tradition? I know the holidays are among us, but do you have uh, something that uh, is a favorite that you do with uh, with your family? Yeah, I, I, I like everybody else, I enjoy Christmas and New Year. There's a lot of Christians that uh, the hair stands on end when you even mention you celebrate Christmas. But I don't celebrate it as St. Claus or, or the giving of gifts. It's just a time uh, where you can evangelize. Um, because the whole world is talking about the birth of the Savior. And uh, it's an opportunity. We've got guys in the tracks that have got Santa Claus on the, on the front. Not that we want to promote Santa Claus, but we, by all means, want to get the gospel into the hands of sinners. Yeah, and yeah. so uh, I love Christmas. I love being with my families. Uh, when I say families, we've got uh, different you know, in-laws now that my kids are up and married, and I've got, got grandchildren. But I love mm-hmm. being with them, and it's just a time of being together. And, so, yeah, I, I think Christmas would be my favorite. Amen, amen. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. It's been a joy, very helpful and very encouraging and very challenging um, for us to get the gospel out. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that this broadcast will be used to strengthen your faith and your love for the local church. Tune in next week when we have a special Christmas episode and we interview Andrew Peterson. The Daily Brew is a listener-supported broadcast. We exist because of generous donors such as yourself. If you're interested in having your business broadcast on our show, please reach out to us through a Facebook page or our website at www.yourdailybrew.com.